Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. I'm glad you're with us as we continue in the book of Genesis today in the Old Testament. Last week was a part of the story. We've been building up to this part of the story for a while in the story of Joseph. Where Joseph, who was sold into slavery, finally uh, reveals his identity to his brothers. And we talked about how this encounter he had with his brothers... When they came back, it was filled with but God moments. But God. And it may have seemed like the people involved in his life were too far gone. The relationships were far beyond saving. But God is the one who makes hard hearts soft. It might have seemed like all hope was lost. But God, just like, uh, just like they were praying earlier, but God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Now, that was written way after uh, Joseph and his brothers, but it was still true there. We ended last week in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 45, where Joseph was finally able to embrace his brothers. And uh, they, I mean, I would love to have just heard those conversations, you know, 20 years of uh, pent-up stuff. And then you know, the last thing he says to me read last week was, hey, go tell dad that I am here and I'm alive. Throughout this whole narrative, right, one thing Joseph wanted to see is he wanted to see his father once more. His question for his brothers when they first showed up, when they didn't know who he was yet, was, is your father still alive? Last week revolved around those two simple words, but God. And this week we're taking it way up to three words. Our title this morning is, Here I Am. Here I Am. You know, in our lives, I know in my life, a lot of times, we place a lot of focus on where we're going. I always want to know where we're going next. Even if we, what we are in the middle of is really great. And sometimes we have this tendency to already be thinking about what's next, or maybe this corollary is that we want to make it seem better than it is, make it better than it is, or make it seem better than it is. We see this as a great example, right? You see someone... Uh, go on vacation, and uh, if they're a person who has social media, they like to take a, a selfie of themselves by the pool, right? Take the phone. Take the picture. Right? They're actually, my boys buy a pool right there. <laughs> it's a, oddly enough. But, you know, you take a picture, and it, they take it probably several times to get the angle just right. What are those things on Instagram? Filters, right? They use a filter. What you don't see is the two kids trying to drown each other, like right out of the frame, right? The storm clouds right around the corner. Because we're always trying to make things seem a little better than they are, try to figure out what might be next. Sometimes, I believe, we're so busy looking forward that we miss an incredible life that we've walked right into. If you follow uh, college football... Sorry, we always got to talk about sports a little bit here. Fellow college football, it happens quite a bit with this thing called the transfer portal. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? I'll explain it to you. It'll make sense, okay? Now, there used to be this rule. If you were a kid, a college kid, you went to college, you could only transfer from one college to another one time. And if you did transfer one time, there was these big penalties. If you transferred and it was not to a, a certain school, you had to sit out a whole year and all this sort of stuff. They made it really hard on you. They made it so it really was not worth it to do in most cases. Now it has changed, so you, essentially kids can uh, transfer unlimited times, no stipulations on where you go next, as long as you talk your coach and letting you go. So what happens is these college kids, and we have some college-age people here. You are awesome. I love college kids. I'm going to speak at a service for college kids on Thursday night in Twin Falls. 
But these college kids, they go, and they, of course, every kid is the best in our high school, right? And they show up, and they think they're going to start right away, right? And they go, and they find out they are the lowest little thing on the totem pole, and they get beat and destroyed, and they think they're going to get their chance, and they don't, and they sit for one year, and they're like, I thought I was going to play. And then what they do, they go transfer. I'm going to go to another school. It's going to be better over there. You know, they were riding the bench because they were young or there was someone better in front of them and more experienced. But instead, this is what used to happen. I sound like an, an, uh, an old guy here. This is what used to happen is, well, they would work and they would wait for their chance. Wait, build up for a couple years, wait for their chance, do well. But they decide that they will transfer because they think there's something better or they should be playing right now. The problem is a lot of them, they enter this thing called the transfer portal. It's like a deal you put your name in, and the vast majority of them go nowhere. They go, they think they're going to find something better at another place. They go nowhere, or they go another place, and the same thing happens because they weren't quite as good as they thought. Maybe, I don't know, depending on what it was. If they do leave, maybe it's a worse situation than where they left. And if they would have stayed where they were, they'd have gotten their chance eventually, or at least gotten a free education out of it. But they wanted their chance right now. In this case, what they need to do, what they did for a long time, is most times say, okay, here I am. I'm going to abide here. I'm going to run the wind sprints. I'm going to wait my chance. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't plan that nothing ever changes. The seasons change. God changes them. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever have an idea of what's coming next because God asks us to be wise, uh, that we shouldn't make a change when it's necessary uh, because God does speak and he calls us to do new things. But the key is while we're waiting on whatever's next, and the key is waiting, uh, the key is where our heart is in the meantime. What's, what's our heart like? And I'd submit to you today that when it comes to what God is doing in us, instead of asking God what's happening next week, next month, next year, our attitude towards God should simply be, okay, here I am. I don't know what you're doing right now, Lord, or what's next, but here I am in this moment. This is what we see in this part of Genesis. I think I have this on the screen for you. I believe today that finding the true desire of our heart is wrapped up in saying to God, here I am. Wherever you are, finding the desire of your heart according to God's will is wrapped up in saying to him, here I am. What we're seeing in this story, what we're about to read today, uh, is a son and a father saying just that, here I am. And there's really two variations of having this kind of heart, the here I am heart. There's the overtime, day after day, sometimes seems a little monotonous, here I am. Right, this is where you wake up and you're like, well, Lord, it's another day. And I'm not sure what's going on here. I woke up at 7.59, I got the kids to school at 8.29, I came back home, I had my coffee, I'm not sure what's going on, but here I am. This is where you have me. There's also the here and now, the in the moment, here I am, where God speaks, and our job was to say, okay, God, I hear you speaking. I hear you, and here I am. But the thing is, saying here I am over time uh, is born out of many times when we say it in the moment. All of us have these here I am moments every single day. And over time and in specific moments in this story, we see the result is that God accomplishes his will. And in this story, God accomplishes his will to bring a family together. He accomplishes his will to establish his people in a mighty way upon the earth. 
We're going to make our way through a pretty good chunk of scripture today where we see both the son Joseph and the father Jacob say to God, here I am. One says it with his actions, one says it with his words. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn or flip them to uh, Genesis chapter 45. We're going to start in verse 16. Uh, Verse 16 through 20 is what we're reading first here, uh, just four verses. Uh, Remember last week, uh, Joseph, he'd been hiding his identity from his brothers. They'd sold him into slavery 20 years earlier, and they showed up needing food. Uh, This is if you're brand new and you're not caught up on the story. They showed up needing food because there was a famine, and he finally reveals himself to them. Uh, Verse 16 says this, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace, that Joseph's brothers had come. Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. What we need to see just from this little part of scripture here is that Joseph's faithful here I am gave his family favor in a foreign land. If you're living in the United States in 2023, sometimes you feel like you need favor in a foreign land, right? Remember the scripture, the last scripture we read last week, right? Joseph instructed his brothers to go get his father and tell him that he was there. Hopefully bring him because uh, Joseph wanted to see Jacob, his father. He wanted to see him face to face, look into his father's eyes one more time before he died. Because he knew his father was getting up in age. But Pharaoh, the only person more powerful in all of Egypt, most powerful nation in the world at the time. Pharaoh hears about what's going on at Joseph's residence. I want to take you back a couple, couple chapters for a moment to this dinner that happened when the brothers... Uh, arrived the second time with Benjamin. Remember, they came one time. Uh, Joseph, he wanted to know if his youngest brother and only full brother, Benjamin, was alive. And he sent them home and he said, uh, he kept one of the brothers as like a ransom. And then he, he sent them back and he said, bring your youngest brother back. And if you bring him back, you can have the other one back. He wanted to see if they were telling the truth. And they were. So they come back and they had this big dinner. He still hasn't revealed his identity. But if you go back a couple chapters, Genesis 43, 32, uh, it says this. I think it's on the screen. It says, they served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. You see, the Egyptians hated the Hebrews. And they generally would have nothing to do with them, would not even sit at the same table uh, with the Hebrews. And Pharaoh, the only person more powerful in all of Egypt than Joseph, he hears about the commotion at Joseph's residence. Remember, uh, Joseph, he goes by an Egyptian name now. And because Egyptians despised Hebrews, this could have been the time when all of it came crashing down. Maybe one of Pharaoh's confidants comes and tells the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, there's 11 other Hebrew guys in Joseph's house. Do you know this? He has Hebrew people in his house. Not only that, he's hugging them. They're like crying. They're talking in a language I don't understand. Do you know what's going on over there, Pharaoh? Remember, Pharaoh first knew Joseph as a Hebrew slave, right? He came to Egypt as a slave. 
But Joseph, we know this from the story, Joseph was not just any Hebrew. And this was not just any family. Pharaoh had known for years that there was something different about Joseph. Remember that God, the one true God, the living God, was so evident in Joseph's life that even Pharaoh, ruler of a completely pagan, ungodly nation, he said of Joseph as they began to face this crisis of the famine, he said in Genesis 41, 38, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Capital G, God. This is a pagan ruler saying this. And it's all come to this point where they are because Joseph was willing in the worst of situations to say to God, here I am. It's what sustained him from the cistern where his brothers threw him to Potiphar's house. Remember, he went from the cistern to slavery to Potiphar's house. It's what got him thrown in jail from Potiphar's house. Remember, he was falsely accused. I'm sure he was in prison saying, here I am, Lord, in prison because I did what was right. Serves me right. He said, here I am to God when he was given a chance to interpret the dreams in the prison for the cupbearer and the baker. Remember, his one request was, hey, I'll, I'll interpret these dreams for you, but when you get out, remember me. And they absolutely did not remember him for two years. But saying, here I am, is what got him in, Pharaoh, in front of Pharaoh two years later. What gave him the solution to the famine. I'm sure he got out. Remember, Pharaoh needed someone to interpret this dream that was disturbing. And he, he hears that there's a Hebrew slave that can do it. So he gets him out of the prison. And he says, can you do this? And he says, I can't, but God can. And I'm sure Joseph was thinking, here I am, Lord. And he, Joseph knew he was going to tell Pharaoh, listen, your whole land's going to go through famine. Lots of people are going to die. It's going to be rough. And Joseph says, here I am, Lord. I hope the most powerful man in the world takes this news well, that everything's about to go really badly. But even with all of Joseph's power, remember, he's second in command of all of Egypt. It's not likely that he would have been able to bring 70 Hebrews from far off where they were starving. Egyptians hated Hebrews. He couldn't permanently settle them in some of the best land. He couldn't give them all the provisions that they need. Pharaoh himself was the only one that could do that. You see, Joseph, he had spent decades serving faithfully in a foreign land. It did not believe that there were godless people, the Egyptians were, who believed cats were magical. Go look it up. They believed cats were magical. I don't know why you choose cats instead of dogs, but that's what they chose. And Joseph did that because it was a time and place where God had placed him, and he had the ability to help. You see, what Joseph did is he said, here I am, in spite of his location. A lot of us, I know me, I want to say, here I am, when I get in a location that's comfortable for me. Okay, Lord, I like this place, here I am. Joseph, whether he had plenty or not much, he said, here I am. Whether he was close to his family or not, he said, here I am. What an example this is for us, right? How often have we said, I'm saying we, I'm including myself, John Eugene Heisel III, that's my full name, I am including myself in the equation. How often have we said, well, Lord, I was going to serve you. Like this time around, I was, I was going to do what's right, but I didn't know that those people were going to be here. Well, Lord, I had decided I was really going to live in a way that honors you, and I really was hoping to tell people about you, 
But I didn't know there was going to be so many atheists here. It's going to be a lot harder than I thought. And Joseph, somehow, instead of his location, letting his location determine his level of surrender, he surrendered no matter the location. He was available to God in that moment, continually saying, here I am. What's really interesting about this is there's nothing here about Pharaoh being surprised or upset Joseph's brothers had showed up. He had no need to deliberate or make sure his advisors would go along with it. This is how much he loved Joseph. Nothing about Joseph having to go to Pharaoh to cash in all his favors to save his family. It's just simply the one man in the entire world that could make a decision like this, telling Joseph, hey, Joseph, don't just send for your dad. Bring everyone here. Don't only bring him here. Let him stay here forever. In fact, don't even just tell him to, to come. Tell him to leave all their stuff because we have better stuff for them. Joseph surely at all this time was thinking of his family, and he was so grateful for what God is doing, so grateful to have seen Benjamin, so grateful for the, the fact that he probably was going to see his father Jacob. But what God was doing was bringing Jacob and his family to the best possible place for them to strengthen and multiply. Because if you know the end of the story, what happens eventually is they become the nation of Israel. God was using Egypt, most powerful and pagan nation in the world, to establish the nation of Israel. This is such a beautiful example for us because like I alluded to earlier, if you're like me, sometimes it's so easy to feel like we're just plugging away day after day. Wake up, check all the boxes, take care of the family, make sure nobody starves, make sure there's gas in the cars. Sometimes it feels like what we're doing doesn't really matter. Maybe it even feels like at our job, no one even notices if we are serving God. Nobody cares. But all of those daily here I am's to God, and those start to add up. The kindness to our neighbors when we really do not feel like being kind. How many have had days like that? The honesty at work when it would be so much easier, maybe more lucrative to not be honest. The faithfulness to our family on the worst days when we don't feel like maybe our needs are being met and all we're doing is helping other people. Those daily here I am's, they can even bring us favor and influence when we feel like we're living in a land that's hostile to everything we believe. Stuff feels like when we wake up in America sometimes. You see Joseph over and over in big, small moments, everything in between. He was able to say to his God, okay, here I am. Here I am. Let's look at these next few verses, uh, chapter 45. Uh, just three verses here. Um, 45, uh, 21 through 24. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Fairhood commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. What a strange thing to say to your brothers on the way out. <laughs> here we see more of the effects of Joseph's lifelong, every day, here I am. 
Now, I'm sure Joseph was not perfect if we get to heaven and we get to ask him about it, hopefully when we get to heaven. If we get to ask him about it, I'm not sure if that's how it will work. But if we get to ask him, uh, I'm sure he had some rough days. But we don't know all of the brothers' mindset uh, as they again journey back home. But we are given a clue that something is changing for them simply in what they are called. Because up to now, it's been Jacob's sons or Joseph's brothers. But here in verse 21, you see what they're called there? The sons of Israel. We see that Joseph, he's able to send these lavish gifts with them because Pharaoh made it possible. Even 20 extra donkeys loaded with the finest supplies for his father's and his family's journey back. And this becomes really important. We'll read it in a few minutes. I believe we see here something simply that we've already seen again and again. It keeps happening, so we have to note it. And that is Joseph demonstrates his forgiveness with action. We've talked several times over the last couple of months about how Joseph could not have lived where he was, existed how he was, done what he did if he didn't have forgiveness in his heart that took some work to find. Because his brothers, remember, they had taken his clothes and they had thrown him in the pit. They had sold them for silver, a really small amount of silver. And Joseph, he sends them back uh, to Canaan with fine clothing, about seven and a half pounds of silver. That's how much 300 shekels was. Most noteworthy is Joseph's understanding of human nature, I think. Because he knows, uh, like you and I have seen, that humans often have a difficult time handling success. And things have been rough and then they turn. Sometimes us humans, we have a hard time... Uh, handling it. This is a principle as old as time, especially when it comes to finances or tangible resources. We've all seen those news stories, right? When someone comes into sudden prosperity, they play the lottery and they win the thing and they get $300 million, but they've blown it all within like a year. Joseph, for some reason, he gives Benjamin more clothing and the 300 shekels of silver. He gives Benjamin more stuff than the others, and it's not the first time he has done this. Remember, at the dinner, Benjamin received more food than the others. This isn't the first time that Joseph has done something that doesn't make sense to us. Clear back when he told his brothers about the dream, that didn't make any sense to us. It would have been smarter for him to keep that dream about how they're going to bow down to him to himself. Thank you very much. To a better time. This is one of those things in the Bible that no one really has a great reason for. He simply could have been doting on his one full brother. It's the only one he shared a mother with and the only one who was younger than him. He could have been like, younger brother, I love you. This is for you. He could have been honoring the, mother, the, the memory of his late mother. He could have trusted Benjamin more than the other brothers. We really don't know. There's a lot of people that would tell you possibilities, but we really don't know. But one thing we do know is that Joseph, he knew his brothers. He knows that they've shown a propensity for lying, cheating, stealing, jealousy, stealing clothes, throwing people in a pit. You know, the list goes on. You name it, and they have done it. So as he sends off his brothers, he can get away with this now, right? He sends them off. He goes, don't fight on the way home. Go get dad and bring him back, and don't fight on the way home. Surely he knows that these uh, brothers, they have a lot to unpack on the way home. Talk about, man. I'm sure one of the brothers was like, the whole time I told you guys we shouldn't have done it. <laughs> right? There's always that one guy. 
And the other ones are like, you watch out, we'll throw you in the pit next, right? That's how brothers act. <laughs> he knows they've got a lot to talk about on the way home, but his hope was that they'll be kind to each other on the way home. And we can take this and we can laugh and smile because even under the best of circumstances, we have to be careful to be good to each other. Not argue over things that have no reason to be argued over. There are things in this world that are worth arguing over. Having long conversations. I, do, I say this to my boys, not just every day, several times a day. They get along uh, there at this uh, day camp thing this year and I go pick them up and they're like, man, these boys get along so well. And they do. They get along really, really well. They, they fight about 2% of the time. And the 2% is in the car on the way back from that thing because they're tired and hungry. <laughs> every, literally every day I have to tell them, uh, don't argue about things that don't matter. It's always, Dad, Luke's telling me, Dad, John was pitching against me in wiffle ball, and he threw it too hard. He struck me out on purpose. It made me look bad. Like, I don't know. I was not there. It's over and over again. They're, they're tattling on each other. Right? And I will say to them, guys, you will have stuff that's important to argue about. This is not one of them. I don't want to hear it. What Joseph understands, and the thing I'm getting at here is that we as humans in this day and age, we simply have to let forgiveness be one of the things that binds us together. Let's now look at the rest of Genesis 45, just a few verses here. Uh, Genesis 45, uh, 25 through 28. <clears throat> this is the brothers we're talking about. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned, but he did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when they saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son, Joseph, is still alive. I will go, and I will see him before I die. I hear the brothers, they have to play their part now that they have seen Joseph was alive. They've witnessed his forgiveness, his generosity. And they, I'm sure, the brothers, they probably knew as soon as they found out it was Joseph, they were like, we're going to have to tell dad someday. We're going to have to tell him what we did. They knew they were going to have to tell their father what had really happened all those years before. I remember this secret had been destroying their family for decades. And it's not mentioned in these verses or any other time really exactly when they said it. I kind of wish it was in there. I'd like to know the moment. But in this time, this is where they, they must have had to have come clean to Jacob about what they had done. Even though it's not written down exactly, I believe it must be contained in verse 27, those few words that said, but when they told him everything Joseph had said to them. Even if they tried to gloss over it, by the way, Dad, Joseph's alive, and he, they, he would have been like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wasn't it you who told me he got killed by the animal and you brought me the bloody coat and all that stuff? Of course, we know why Jacob would, not, would be prone to not believing what his sons are saying at first. It's because there had been lying and cheating and stealing in their family for years. Some of it was perpetrated by Jacob himself. More likely, as his sons show up, if I'm in Jacob's shoes, I'm probably saying, okay, what kind of crazy story are these guys going to have for me this time? Last time it was, well, everything's fine, Dad, except we have to take the one more brother and go back. And in fact, when they tell him the news he wants to hear, which is, Joseph is alive, he flat does not believe him. 
He's like, you are lying. It's impossible. Because Jacob has trained himself to expect and to accept bad news. And his tendency is not to believe anything good could ever have happened. His heart is so broken, he can't accept good news. And therefore, he never believes good news when it comes. So broken was his heart and so hard had bitterness made him that he could not even believe what he was being told. He was being told the very thing he wanted and he couldn't even believe it. But remember, we started here on purpose. Remember how Joseph had so endeared himself to Pharaoh, literally saved the nation. And remember how Pharaoh had directed Joseph to send so many gifts and so many supplies? Jacob realizes that his sons could not have come up with this stuff on their own. He also does not even seem to care about all the supplies, that he has all the stuff he needs to take care of his family, to keep him safe, to keep him more than comfortable. It just says that when he sees those supplies, all that stuff that Pharaoh had sent, when he sees them, it says his very spirit was revived. If you read through these, these previous chapters, it says multiple times that Jacob, once uh, he thought that Joseph was dead, he was essentially just waiting to die. Broke his heart that badly. And when he saw the stuff that Pharaoh had sent, because of his son Joseph, his spirit was revived. Came to life again. The gifts and supplies were what convinced Jacob that this could actually be true, and it gave him hope that he hadn't had. See, Joseph's service to Pharaoh... His continual here I am, the plugging away every day, it resulted in the generosity that revived his father's spirit. And with that, we can finally turn our attention uh, to the father, Jacob. I read with me today, Genesis 46, 1 through 7. It says this, So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you in to a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons and took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. We've been talking about Joseph's Here I Am. That Jacob's in the moment, here I am, it brought a promise from God. We've been seeing the son Joseph throughout these chapters of Genesis. He's been willing to serve God in whatever form or fashion is asked of him. But there's deep truth and power in what Jacob, the father, does here. We're going to take a minute and unpack this. You see, Jacob, even though it seems like it had been a while Jacob had been someone who often talked with God. Sometimes it's easy to get these Old Testament names confused, but Genesis 28, right after Jacob steals his brother's birthright, but before he is married or has children, uh, he's traveling, he's actually fleeing from Esau because Esau's mad at him, and he lays down to sleep, lays his head on a rock, and God speaks to him in a dream. And in a dream, uh, there is a stairway to heaven with angels going up and down. 
I'm sure that's where the song title came from. I don't really know, but I'm sure that's where it came from. And from the top, God speaks, telling him that the land he's laying on will one day belong to him. Uh, God says to him, Genesis 28, uh, verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. If you're reading that chapter further, he names that place Bethel, and he builds an altar there. And he would return later and make a covenant with God after he had made peace with Esau. You see, Jacob was someone who had spoken with God. More well-known, perhaps, in the passage we love, we're going to read together, is Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles with God. just want us to read it here quickly because it gives us some context into what's going on here. Genesis 32:22, And the title in your Bible probably says, Jacob wrestles with God. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. The context is important because it helps us understand Jacob a little bit more as he gathered up his family and he travels to Egypt. You see, he wrestled with God that night, the Bible says. He was physically never the same and he received the promise and a new name. We read in there, he's called Israel. But not long after this happened, uh, his son Joseph would disappear. And when his son Joseph disappeared, something broke inside of him. And we've seen it as we've read through the passages, right? It caused Jacob to be downtrodden and bitter, refused to accept good news when it comes. But as hope starts to rise in his heart that his son Joseph may actually be alive. As he processes, I'm sure, what his other sons have been keeping from him all this time. They stop for the night on their journey to to Egypt. But it's not just any place that they stopped. They stopped at this place called Beersheba. If you've read Genesis, Beersheba might sound like a familiar place. And that's because Jacob's father, Isaac, son of Abraham, also once stopped there. God had appeared to Isaac and told him in the midst of a dangerous situation, do not be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you. I'll multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. 
that's important to see, what I want us to see here is that Jacob, he had stopped somewhere that his father had built an altar. Somewhere that he knew his father had heard from God. And in this moment, he needs to hear from God. So he goes to the place where he knows it has happened. And God begins speaking to Jacob in the night. Now, Jacob, uh, he would have known the significance of God speaking in the night in the Old Testament. Among many other times in Genesis, Jacob would have known that God had made his covenant promise to his grandfather Abraham in a similar way. If you want to go read that, Genesis 15, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. He may have even heard stories from his grandfather Abraham of God's faithfulness that we read about in Genesis 22. This is one of the the most incredible stories in the whole Bible. I haven't preached on it yet because I just did not... uh, Uh, It'll take some strength for me when I do. This is the part when God has tested Abraham's faith and he asks him to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. I personally believe that either Abraham wouldn't have done it or God would have provided a sacrifice. But God faithfully provides a ram in the thicket at the last moment as Abraham has the knife raised. And when God needed to get Abraham's attention, he repeated his name twice. If you look closely at that verse from earlier in Genesis, chapter 22, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. All of this, I'm sure, was returning to Jacob's mind, swirling around his heart as God calls out to him in the middle of the night, Jacob, he says his name again, Jacob, it's been a long time since he's heard that voice but it was still a voice that he knew. And when he hears that voice that changed his name and that voice that caused him to walk with a limp, a voice that made a promise to his grandfather and his father, and though his heart may have been tired or bitter or angry, Jacob hears the voice. Jacob hears that voice, calls name twice, and he says to his God, okay, God, here I am. I believe there may have been some question in Jacob as to whether or not this whole going to Egypt was really wise. Maybe some fear about uprooting his entire family, taking them to enemy territory. But what God wants Jacob to know in this moment, and I believe what he wants us to know today, is that God often begins his miracles in the most unlikely places. God tells Joseph in this passage we read that it's safe to go to Egypt. And when he says that to Jacob, he says, I will make you into a great nation. This tells Jacob that it's not going to be a short trip. There's only about 60 or 70 of them right now, and that's not a great nation. Jacob understands it's going to take some time, some years for that to happen. And God tells him what he most wants to hear. And that is that he will see his son Joseph before he dies. Verse 4 says, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. He's saying, you're going to die in the presence of your son, Joseph. And that dream that has always been in Jacob's heart is for his family to be whole. That dream begins to live again as he wakes up and he leads his family back to Egypt. See, Jacob's here I am in this moment, as God speaks, has led to a promise from God to restore his family. Now, for a place for God to restore his family... Egypt is a pretty unlikely place for all that to happen. 
but God often begins miracles in unlikely places. Before we close today, I want us to see just one more thing. It's uh, verse 1 of Genesis 46 that we read. Genesis 46, 1. So Israel, that's Jacob. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. This is an incredible moment where Jacob, who hasn't heard from God for a long time, but the man who wrestled with God, uh, he stops the place where he knew his father from heard from God and he gives God a chance to speak and he does. You see what precedes this incredible moment where God spoke and Jacob said those words, here I am. Jacob, even though he had not spoken with God in a while, he went to Beersheba and he offered sacrifices anyway. This is the way in this time that they surrendered to God. He wasn't sure if God was in this or if this was a good idea, but he went to where he knew God had been. And he surrendered to his God in the best way that he knew how. Friends, if you're hearing this today in the room or online or wherever, and if you are honest, there is dreams that you feel like God put in your heart. It was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years, 50 years ago. Your family, your faith, your job. But it feels like those dreams that you were shared from God. Maybe they sure were from God. Maybe they've withered and they've died. Maybe God is reminding you of them even now in this very moment. Maybe you don't even know what happened to them. You were so sure, but now you're not. Can I just encourage you today to do as Jacob did with his broken heart and his broken family? To go to where you know that God has been. Maybe that's even why you were here today. Go to where God is, you know he has been and bring what you have. Just be prepared when he calls you, as Jacob did, to say, okay, God, here I am. Yeah, it might be, Lord, I, my life is in shambles. I can barely keep it together every day. Here it all is, and here I am. Because God, what God wants us to know is that he can begin a miracle in your life from right where you are today. Even if it seems pretty unlikely, he did it in Egypt. If he did it in Egypt, he could do it in Boise, Idaho. just want to encourage you this morning to resist looking ahead and allow God to speak to you right in the moment uh, that you are today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're almost done this morning. As I thought and prayed about how to end the service today, this was just uh, strongly the way I felt like we should do it. Um, one final thought for you. Both the son and the father, they had the same desire in their heart. Joseph desperately wanted to see his father, and Jacob wanted only to see his son. And God was working on both ends of that, both in Egypt and in Canaan. But it took the 20 years of here I am from Joseph, one single here I am from Jacob to make it happen. So no matter where you are today, if you're in the middle of what feels like this protracted struggle, it seems like it's never going to end. And you showed up here today and you're like, okay, Lord, if you're real, then here I am. 
Or maybe you walked in today, and from the moment you walked in, it was like you were zapped by a lightning bolt, and God was speaking, and you're having an experience with God. And it's a here I am moment. You need to know that God is not asking you for a perfect life or a 10-part master plan. He's only asking you, and he's only asking me for a heart that says those three words. Here I am. So Stacy plays quietly. I'm just going to give you a moment um, in the presence of the Lord uh, to speak with God. I encourage you in this time um, to allow God to remind you of dreams he may have placed in your heart. I encourage you in this time to begin to ask God for healing for something that's maybe uh, been wreaking destruction on you for years or decades. I encourage you in this time, uh, if you've known the Lord before but you're far from him, to whisper a prayer in your own way to God. Uh, Word of God says that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. If you don't know him today, he's standing at the door of your heart and knocking. All you need to do is in your own heart, uh, just say, Jesus, I accept you into my life. Could you come and save me? Let me give you a moment to reflect before we pray to end uh, this morning. Just allow God a moment to speak whatever way he sees fit. Lord, I've seen in my own life so many times where um, all I want is for you to speak. Tell me what I'm doing or tell me what's next. And uh, the thing I need to do the most is uh, turn some of the other, the other noise down. And I pray this morning that as we have done just that with your people here, as this church Uh, Lord, I pray in this holy moment that uh, you have spoken. Lord, for those that have a dream in their heart and they're they're fearful to even acknowledge it to themselves, let alone speak it out loud because it seems so crazy, so outlandish. For those who feel like they can't possibly live for you in in the uh, the situation that they're in, in their work, wherever. Lord, for those who may be like Joseph and Jacob, their family is completely broken. Lord, I pray you'd speak today and you would give every person an opportunity to say those words to you. Okay, Lord, here I am. It may be messy. It may not look the way that I wish it looked, but Lord, here I am. Lord, for those that are, they're persevering, man, they're going through it. Lord, they know you, but it's not easy. Lord, I pray that you would give them Uh, Faith, love, and grace. Put one foot in front of the other. And Lord, I pray that you would just reveal to them uh, uh, your goodness and mercy, the great things you have ahead of them. For the Lord, Lord, for those that they just, they need to hear from you today. They need you to call them. I just pray that you would do that at this moment. Uh, 
the things you have said, the things you have spoken through a song or through your word, that they would find deep places in our hearts today. Lord, I thank you that you begin your miracles in the most unlikely of places. We see it throughout your word. You did it in Egypt, and you can do it uh, in this room today. So I pray you would speak and that you would move. You would go with us, Lord, with your grace and your mercy. Pray that every heart in this place would know and feel your presence. Uh, we thank you, God, that you are real. You love us. Would you let your compassion and your mercy guide us? We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Friends, thanks for coming to church today. Thanks for uh, talking about the story of Joseph with me. You're dismissed to go. I encourage you, find someone you don't know. Say hello to them on the way out. Maybe even buy them lunch or something. And uh, we'll see you on Wednesday night for church, 7 p.m. Next Sunday back here. Thanks for coming, and we will see you very soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.